0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show Tonight we begin with The FBI in Peace and War It was a crime radio drama inspired by Frederick Lewis Collins' book of the same name. In 1955, it was the eighth most popular show on radio. Martin Blaine and Donald Briggs headed the cast. Interesting to note that the theme was the march for Prokofiev's The Love of Three Oranges, arranged for a small symphony orchestra by Amadeo de Filippa, with Vladimir Zelensky conducting the music was accompanied by a chant of L A V A in reference to the show's sponsor being Lava Soap. <laughs> so here's the episode called The Courier.
2: The Equitable Life Assurance Society presents This is your FBI. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented transcribed as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community. Appearing on this evening's program in the role of Inspector Young is George Murphy, star of the new Louis de Rochemont production Walk East on Beacon, released by Columbia Pictures. This authentic motion picture, made with the cooperation of your FBI, reveals the manner in which the FBI is carrying out its widespread offensive against espionage in the United States. There are many examples in history of people who have given up freedom in return for promises of future security. This is not the American way. We Americans prefer to secure our future and preserve our freedom at the same time. For this reason, More than 5 million Americans have joined the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States of our own free will. Throughout the nation, the Equitable Society is represented by 8,000 insurance specialists. In about 10 minutes, I'll tell you more about these men and how they may help you solve your problems and enjoy the advantages of membership in the Equitable Society. The subject of our FBI file, Subversive Activity. It's titled, The Courier.
3: Later this month, the American people will observe one of their most solemn holidays Memorial Day set aside for the purpose of honoring those who have died in the wars fought to perpetuate our freedom. This evening, your FBI unveils for your inspection the case history of an American communist, a man who may be responsible for the future deaths of countless of his fellow Americans if there should be a third world war. This man was a courier in the atomic spy ring, a citizen of our country who espoused the doctrine of hate and became a traitor. His life testified to the utter darkness of the communist way. And by examining that life, we see the tragic error of communism. A blight which saps the moral strength of a man and leaves him a helpless puppet.
4: Tonight's FBI file opens on a January afternoon in 1944. The place is a busy street corner in downtown New York. I wasn't there. I found out about this part of the story years later. I'm Inspector Young, assigned to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's headquarters staff. I wasn't on that corner, but a short, chunky, bespectacled man was. He was carrying a book with a green leather binding. He was waiting for a man carrying a very strange object in his left hand, an ink-stained tennis ball. After waiting a few minutes, the man with the tennis ball came along.
5: Pardon is that book from the library? Yes. I'm Dr. Fanola.
4: I'm
6: Christopher.
5: Let's walk. Tell your friend I may not be here long.
6: you just arrived.
5: If possible. I'll be here a week, a month, or I may have to leave tonight.
6: For where? Maybe Tennessee. Hmm? What's so important down there? Our experiments. We're
5: working on nuclear fission.
6: Really? Do you understand? Not entirely, but I'm a chemist. I know what atomic energy would mean. You uh, better wait for the light. Yeah.
5: How will I contact you in the future?
6: On the first page of this book, you'll find a phone number. Call there and leave word with John that you want to see me. John,
5: is your superior? Yes.
6: All right. I'll call as soon as I have something.
4: With that meeting, the history of the world was affected. Dr. Panola was a member of a team of European scientists, and Christopher was the code name for an innocuous-looking chemist. But both had something in common besides an interest in science. Both were anxious to help in the foundation of a new world a Soviet world. They met a half a dozen times during the next six months, always in a public place. Dr. Panola passed his papers to Christopher, who in turn kept an appointment with his superior, a man from an Iron Curtain consulate, a man named
6: John. Pardon me, sir. Yes. You got a match? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Did you see him? Yes, he gave me some reports. Where other? In a locker here at the station. He give you the key. It's in your book of matches. Thanks for the light.
4: Whether he was meeting John or Doctor Panola, Christopher observed one rule: caution. That was vital. For now, the information Doctor Panola was relaying was becoming more and more important. Everything was going according to
6: plan. And then one day... John, something's happened to the doctor. An accident? I can't find out. He didn't meet me this morning. I waited for two hours, and then I went to the alternate meeting place. He never came near either one. Go to his apartment. Oh, he's not there. The janitor says he left town, but he doesn't know for where. I thought he'd call you before he went anyplace. He should
3: have. Well, what can we do now? His sister lives in this country. Oh, where? Up in New England. And named... Uh... Uh, Mrs. Kermit. I'll give you her address. Go see her.
7: Just a minute.
6: Good morning. I'd like to see Mrs. Kermit.
7: I'm Mrs. Kermit.
6: Well, wow. I'm a friend of your brother, Dr. Panola.
7: Oh, well, please come in.
6: Thank you. My name is Mr. Christopher.
7: Well, won't you sit down, Mr. Christopher? Thank you. Uh, do you live here in town?
6: No, I just happen to be going through. I called the doctor yesterday and found he left New York.
7: Yes, he's been transferred. Where to? Someplace out west.
6: Uh-huh. Do you have his address?
7: No, I don't, Mr. Christopher. <laughs> you know Eric. He always keeps everything about his work so secret. <laughs> yes.
6: Isn't there any way you can get in touch with him?
7: Well, he said he'd write, but I guess he just hasn't had time.
6: Well, Mrs. Kermit, if I leave a message, will you get it to your brother when you do hear from him?
7: Of course.
6: Just tell him that Mr. Christopher was here. I'll write a phone number for you in New York. Have him call me. Mm. A week went by,
4: two weeks a month, and still no word from Dr. Panola. Then one day in an office at the Communist Control Consulate in New York. Hello? John? Yes.
5: Dr. Panola. Where are you? In Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was transferred very suddenly to a new atomic center near here called Los Alamos. You should have called me. I didn't have time. Do you have any news? Yes, and it's very important.
3: Get a leave of absence and bring it easy.
5: I can't. You'll have to meet me. Where? Here in Santa Fe.
3: I'll send Christopher.
5: All right. Tell him to come to Santa Fe a week from today. I'll meet him at four in the afternoon on the Costello Street Bridge.
4: Four weeks later, Christopher went by train to Albuquerque. From there, he took a bus to Santa Fe. And now he used the caution he had been taught. He went to a store and purchased a city map. That meant he wouldn't have to ask anyone for directions to the Castillo Street Bridge. Wouldn't have to speak to anyone who might later identify him. Using the map, he arrived at the bridge. He
6: began to walk across. Where are you going? The bus station. Jump in. Oh, thanks. the details with you? It's all the latest, please. Wonderful.
5: What's that? Wait until I drop you. Why? If we're stopped, I'm entitled to have them on me. You're not. Tell John he won't hear from me again. Why not? I'm going back to Europe. My work here is done. When are you leaving? Any day now. There's nothing more to be transmitted. When these papers get to Moscow, they'll know as much about the bomb as we do.
2: return in just a moment to tonight's exciting case from the official files of your FBI but right now here's a message that may be of great interest to you it's the experience of mr. George Whitby a member and policyholder of the Equitable Life Assurance Society how long have you been a member mr. Whitby four and a half years mr. Keating but what was it that first interested you in becoming a policy holding member of the Equitable Society
4: it was a life insurance plan that I heard you talk about on this program, Mr. Keating. It interested my wife and me so much, we decided to find out more about it. So I looked up the name of our local Equitable Society agent. I gave him a ring, and he dropped around the next evening. He knew his business. He seemed genuinely concerned about our problem. He was more like a counselor than a salesman.
2: I'd say that's a good description of Equitable Society men everywhere, all 8,000 of them. They help you get the kind of life insurance that will be most advantageous to you. They believe that the best insurance service is based on a friendly, mutual understanding between agent and client.
4: Well, if they're all like our equitable agents, they're a mighty fine bunch of men to do business with.
2: They really are. You see, equitable agents are specialists. They're trained men, professional men, who have chosen life insurance as a career. And they have the backing of a large group of home office specialists. All of them are at the service of every equitable member and prospective member. And that's a thought I'd like to leave with our listeners. Equitable society men are good men to do business with. So, if you have a life insurance problem, if you're interested in the future security and the peace of mind of your family, consult the man who can help you most. Consult your local telephone directory for the name of your local equitable representative. Or write to the Equitable Society, care of this station. That's E Q U I T A B L E. The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. And now back to the FBI file, The Courier.
4: Long after that meeting in Santa Fe, we at the Federal Bureau of Investigation learned that the basic secrets of nuclear fission had been stolen. I am not at liberty to reveal how we obtained that information, for security and human lives are involved. However, I can tell you the information was conclusive. It proved beyond any question that the secrets of atomic bomb construction had been acquired by Russia. Now, Mr. Hoover called a meeting and issued an order. Find the guilty man. Do the job, he mobilized every
8: possible resource. The case was given top priority. Tom, we've gotten a break on the atomic investigation.
4: What's that, Jim?
8: Well, we developed some information about a scientist who was at Los Alamos back in 1945. His name is Dr. Panola. Is he still at Los Alamos? No, he's back in Europe, so Mr. Hoover sent our information to the authorities over there. They just cabled that Panola's made a full confession. Oh, good. Well, he claims he'll cooperate, but he's only mentioned two people he worked with over here. We have any records on them? Uh, yes and no. Uh, first man was somebody named John who worked at the New York consulate of a communist-controlled country. So where is he now? He's Back in his own country. Oh. The other man Panola named was the courier who delivered his reports to this John. His name is Christopher. So
4: that is that his first or last name?
8: Panola says that's all he ever called him.
4: Has he given us any description?
8: Yeah. Here's the cable with all the information. Mm-hmm study it, then we'll go to work.
4: The information supplied by Dr. Panola was this. Christopher appeared to know chemistry and engineering. He was from 30 to 40 years of age, about 5 feet 8 inches tall. He didn't know where Christopher lived, but he thought he was still in the United States. That meant your FBI had the task of locating a man whose name they didn't know whose complete description they didn't have and who might be anywhere in the country. In all the history of the FBI, there never was a more important problem than this one. The unknown man had to be found. Of that, there was no question. But how? Where do you start on a manhunt where the wanted person could be almost any man in the United States? Your FBI had a list of the places where Dr. Panola had remembered contact being made. One of those places was the home of his sister. I made that my first stop. Mrs. Kermit? Yes? I'm Inspector Young of the FBI. Here are my credentials.
7: Come in, please. Thank you. I suppose you're here about Eric. Uh,
4: Yes, I am.
7: Then those stories in the papers they're true.
4: I'm afraid they are.
7: Mr. Young, may I say something before you ask me any questions?
6: Why, of course.
7: I, I love my brother, and, and I'm not deserting him while he's in trouble. But neither my husband nor I ever suspected that he was a communist. But we didn't even know what he was doing in this country.
4: Perhaps you still can help us. Your brother says a man named Christopher visited you here. What can you tell us about him?
7: Well... Let me see.
4: Uh, can you give us a description of him?
7: Well, he, he was kind of a stocky man. Not too tall. He, he had sort of brown hair and heavy face. And I think he was a, Well, I'd say he was about in his middle 30s.
4: Did he speak with an accent?
7: No, he didn't.
4: Uh, how long was he here?
7: About an hour.
4: Mm-hmm. Did he tell you what he did for a living?
7: I think he said something about chemistry.
4: Was he married?
7: I don't think he said anything about that one way or the other.
4: Did he uh, mention any city besides New York?
7: Yes, he did. He told me he came here by train from. Oh. oh, yes, he said Philadelphia. That's about all I can remember about him.
4: Well, if you think of anything else, I'd appreciate your calling me. <laughs> Now the full resources of your FBI were put to work. Every tenant in the large New York apartment house where Dr. Panola had lived was questioned. Some were scattered to distant points on the map, but each was located. Did any of them furnish any information? No. Former employees and scientists at the two atomic centers where Dr. Panola had been stationed were interviewed. Did they know anything about a heavy-set chemist whose name might be Christopher? No. In Santa Fe, inquiries were made at bus, air travel, railroad ticket offices. Hotel registers were analyzed, again with no results. A list of chemists was compiled from the city records of New York and Philadelphia. Of the tens of thousands who were possible suspects, 15% were immediately eliminated because they were women. Other thousands were removed from the list because of discrepancies in age, physical appearance. Gradually, the number was paired to one thousand, then five hundred, then one hundred, then one. Jim, there's a chemist in Philadelphia named Craig. He might be Christopher. No. Here's a
8: description. Thanks. brown hair, Bill skin. Born Russia. Where'd you get his name? It was on the list
4: of chemists, and it was in our files. We questioned him back in 1947. Oh, about what, Tom? Well, he was described as a communist suspect by a chemical engineer in New York, a fellow named Grimes. Uh, have
8: you spoken to this Grimes? He's
4: dead. Uh, where's Craig now? Working as a chemist for a hospital in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Before that, he was with the Philadelphia Sugar Company. I've gone over their employment records, and Craig either reported sick or was on vacation on the dates Panola claims he met the courier.
9: Uh-huh.
8: You interviewed Craig yet? No. That's where I'm going now.
4: Uh, I'm looking for Mr. Craig. I'm Craig.
6: You waiting for a test?
4: No, I'm Inspector Young of the FBI. Here are my credentials.
6: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what can
4: I do for you, Mr. Young? When you find time, I'd, uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Why don't we do it
6: now? Fine. By the way, what am I charged with? Well, nothing yet. I knew I couldn't be. I haven't done anything. Ask me any questions you like.
4: In questioning a suspect, it sometimes is a better course of action for a special agent to make his first few queries very general, covering vital statistics. Other times, an agent will uh, attempt to employ the element of surprise and make his first question the big one. I showed Craig a picture of Dr. Panola this man familiar of course that's dr panola you know him sure everybody does after the publicity he got is that why you recognized his picture yes i saw it often enough for the papers have you ever seen dr panola in person no not that i know of why was he in philadelphia i don't know tell me mr craig where did you work before you got this job at the hospital
6: at a sugar company how was your health in those days well, not very good As a matter of fact, that's why I took this job. I was ill quite a lot at the sugar company. When I took sick leave, they docked me for the days I missed. Did you go anywhere on those sick leaves? Oh, sometimes to New York to see a
4: show. Usually I stayed home. Did you take any trips to New England? Never been there in my life. Did you take any vacations while you were at the sugar company?
6: Two weeks each summer. Did you spend them taking trips? No, no, I'm one of those unusual people, I guess. I just never was bitten by the travel bug. I like it here.
4: Well, I guess that would mean that you've never been out west, say, to New Mexico or California.
6: I went to Pittsburgh last year to the chemist's convention. That's as far west
4: as I've ever gone. Mm Mm-hmm. You know many chemists? Yes, of course. Did you happen to know a chemical engineer in New York named uh, Grimes? Grimes, yes. He died last year. Oh, did he? At least that's what I heard. Uh, tell me, would you have any objections to my taking some pictures of you? Not at all. But why? Well, we'd like to use them in connection with an investigation. I see. You can refuse, of course, to grant permission. I have no objection. I uh, I brought along a camera, but I'm I'm afraid we don't have enough light in here. No, I don't. Can we go outside and take them now? Surely. At noon, I started to shoot pictures of Craig. By 2.30, the film was delivered to the FBI laboratory in Washington. They were developed immediately and put aboard a plane to Europe. The following day, at the prison where Dr. Fanola was in custody, the pictures were shown to him. He leaned forward in his chair and studied the screen intently. Proof that the right man had been found could now be had if Dr. Fanola identified Craig. The room was quiet except for the whir of the movie projector.
5: All right, stop.
4: That man is not Christopher. After Dr. Panola's discouraging words, we ran the film again. This time for the doctor's sister in New England. If she could make a definite identification, it would be almost as valuable as Dr. Panola's. She couldn't. In spite of this, we at FBI headquarters were still sure Craig was the man we wanted. I was in my office the following day when... Young.
6: Hello, Mr. Young. This is Leonard Craig. Oh, hello. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Say, I thought of something after you left. Oh, yeah? What was that? Maybe you'd like to look around my room. Oh, I can't. Why not?
4: Well, in order to get a search warrant, I'd have to say what I expected to find in your room.
6: You don't need a search warrant.
4: Oh, I do, unless you're willing to give me your permission. Well,
6: that's why I called.
4: Will you put that permission in writing? Of course. Well, fine. When can we meet?
6: All right. I'll be home around 6.30.
4: I'll be there. That evening, Craig was again as polite and cooperative as possible. He suggested I start with a table beside his bed. That's where he kept a lot of his papers.
6: Uh, if there's anything you don't understand, be glad to explain. Thank you. Maybe a few scraps of paper with chemical data... Maybe even I won't understand it now. Oh, uh, that's uh, that's a chemical journal. Whenever an item of
4: interest was found, Craig was ready to give an explanation. He was supremely confident. He seemed to have an answer for every question. We worked our way through each drawer of the table and then around the room to the bookcase. Mind if I look through
6: your books? Not at all. Hey, there's something behind them. Uh, Paperback mysteries. Oh. I hide them so my friends won't find out I'm not an intellectual. (laughs) (laughs) I see.
4: Wait a minute. It looks like there's something back in the bookcase. Uh You mind if I move it out? No, not at all. That'll be enough. What did you find? A city map of Santa Fe. Uh
6: Huh? Maybe whoever had this room
4: before me left it. You think the former tenant also marked the Castillo Street Bridge on the map? Well, uh... You said you never been west of Pittsburgh. Was that true? Mr. Craig, would you like to tell me the whole story?
3: In federal court, Leonard Craig was sentenced to a long term in a federal penitentiary. And now, a word from the star of tonight's program, Mr. George Murphy.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, I should like to take this opportunity to tell you about one of the most exciting things that has ever happened to me. Last fall, I had the privilege of working in a new motion picture called Walk East on Beacon, a picture adapted from FBI cases photographed and portrayed as it happened with the complete cooperation of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is an important picture for you to see because it shows exactly how the agents of a foreign government operate. It is an exciting picture, and there is a realness and honesty about it that you won't forget. It's a picture that Americans, both old and young, should see. I would like to thank Mr. J. Edgar Hoover for selecting me to play the part of Inspector Belly. It was one of the most exciting experiences of my life. And as for your FBI, ladies and gentlemen, in this troubled world, we should thank God every night for this wonderful group of men. The finest, most efficient, most self-sacrificing, best public servants in the world. As long as we have the FBI, we need not fear for the future of America. I think you will enjoy seeing how they protect you and
2: your country and walk east on Beacon. Thank you, Mr. Murphy. Now if you are interested in planning for future security and peace of mind of yourself and your family why not talk to the man in your community who can help you most your local equitable society representative will be glad to discuss your problems with you at any time and without any obligation throughout the united states there are more than eight thousand of these insurance specialists to get in touch with your local equitable society representative simply consult your local telephone directory The Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. Next week, we will dramatize
3: another case from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Its subject, impersonation. Its title, The Punch and Judy Shakedown.
2: The incident used in tonight's Equitable Life Assurance Society's broadcast are adapted from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. However, all names used are fictitious, and any similarity thereof to the names of places or persons, living or dead, is accidental. Tonight, George Murphy was starred as Inspector Young. The music was composed and conducted by Frederick Steiner. The author was Jerry D. Lewis. Your narrator was William Woodson, and Special Agent Taylor was played by Stacey Harris. Others in the cast were Whitfield Connor, Ted DeCorsia, Isabel Jewell, and Tom Tully. This is Your FBI is a Jerry Devine production. This is Larry Keating speaking for the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States and the Equitable Society's representative in your community and inviting you to tune in again next week at this same time when the of the Life Assurance Society will bring you another thrilling transcribed story from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The Punch and Judy Shakedown on This is Your FBI.
1: Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen to prop up his little wooden dummy friend and go for some laughs when they welcome actress June Allison.
10: Coca-Cola brings you Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy.
11: It's Sunday night, and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. With Mortimer 3rd and Ray Noble and his orchestra, and the Mellow Man, brought to you each week by the Coca-Cola Company. Tonight's special guest is the lovely lady of the screen, Miss June Allison. And now, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy.
12: Yes, yes, I I know, I know, honey But I got to hang up now, my kumquat Yes Oh, they've announced me Charlie, get off that telephone Did you get your allowance, babe? Oh, good Now you can take me out tonight Really, Charlie? So long, my tangerine I'll be squeezing you. Charlie, I just couldn't help overhearing your conversation. Why? Was the extension phone caught in your ear? No, no. <laughs> I can't believe that you talk to a girl that way. Who is she? Oh, well, let's just say she's a good skate, what pays the freight. Oh, I see. <laughs> I can't understand this younger generation. Why, when I was growing up, everybody was a gentleman. You mean there weren't any women at all? Oh. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, we acted like gentlemen. Oh. Apparently, you don't know what a gentleman is. Oh, sure. A gentleman is a wolf with patience. All right. <laughs>
9: Charlie, next... Well... Oh.
12: Next time you see this girl of yours... yeah, Why don't you try... Try talking about music and art and... Uh, why don't you quote poetry... Oh, no, no. no! I tell you, Bergen, girls don't take that kind of punishment today. Oh, they don't?
9: <laughs>
12: well, you just try it and see what she does. I know what she'll do. She'll comp me on the head with her baseball bat. Yeah. Her baseball bat? Yeah, sure. She's homicide Ida. Oh, she is? Yes. She's the catcher on our baseball team. Oh, some girl. You can say it. Yes. Strong as an ox. Yeah. And twice as pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, times have changed. Yeah. Charlie, I want to remind you that June Allison is coming by to see us. And I wish, for me, I wish you'd remember your party manners. Did you see June Allison? Yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now, there is my big moment. Yes. You know, she's just as cute as a button. Yes. How I'd like to get my button hooks on her. All right. <laughs> I want you to think of yourself as a gallant knight and conduct yourself as uh, one of King Arthur's men. Now, those were wonderful days. Were you happy then, Bergen? (laughs) Oh, I wasn't born then. Oh, oh, look, I see June Allison headed this way. Oh, my heart is turning a handspring. Here we are, Junie. Hello, Edgar.
13: Hello, Charlie.
12: (laughs) Uh, Junie, it's it's good to see you. Yeah, we were just talking about romance and chivalry, you know. Uh, uh, tell me, uh, do you feel uh, do you feel this, uh, Junie? Yes. <laughs> that I do, Goonie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. June, I was telling Charlie if he would conduct himself as a knight of King Arthur's time, he would be the most popular boy at school.
13: You are absolutely right, Ed. I'm sure everyone would think that... Think, think
12: that I was nuts.
13: Yeah, I agree with you. Hmm? It would not fit in with our times. But I would have adored living in those days with all the knights in their shining armor.
12: Well, what was so
13: great about that? Well, it would have been so much fun shopping for hand goods.
9: Why? <laughs> well, in
13: those days, even the men were put up in tins.
9: Oh, <laughs> Jude
13: You're
12: ashamed Aren't you now I, <laughs> I told you not to say uh, Jude, I remember Seeing you in the MGM picture uh, What was the name of that MGM picture Men put up in tins No, no, no <laughs> That one will live To haunt you All right <laughs> Oh, I know. That picture, Words and Music, you know, where you did a very clever little scene. It was two knights in armor, and you sang uh, Thou Swell or something. Yes, that's
13: right. It was about a knight making love to his
12: lady pair. Yes. With a modern touch. Yeah, I, remember, I remember that. It, 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 I know how the song goes. It goes, uh, Thou Swell. Yeah, no, 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 oh, Charlie. It goes like this. You're interrupting me. <laughs>
13: Thou swell, thou witty, thou sweet, thou grand wouldst kiss me pretty, wouldst hold my hand but thine eyes are kissing What's it do to me? Hear me holler, I choose a sweet lose her see. I'd feel so rich in a hut for two, two rooms and kitchen. I'm sure would do, give me just a plot of not a lot of land. And thou swell, thou with me, thou grand. Well, thou witty, thou
9: sweet, thou grand,
13: would kiss me pretty, would
8: hold my hand.
13: but fine eyes are cute too, what they do to me. Hear me holler if I choose a sweet holler if a loser can be. You're my sweet love, a loser.
9: I feel so rich in the tiny
13: little that's hut for two. Two rooms and kitchen, I'm sure would do. Be just a pot of not a lot of land. And that's square My voice, Charlie. Well, I think
12: it's very. Yeah, well, so do
13: I. I've been told that I have the range of Lily Puns and the vivacity of Mary Martin. Do you think so?
12: Well, I. Well, I
13: don't think so either.
12: Uh, no. Do oh. you know? You know, you've got me kind of interested in that King Arthur stuff.
13: <laughs> Say, I have an idea, Charlie. Yeah. The museum has a wonderful display in their armor room. Let's go and see it.
12: Now that is a splendid idea. Now you two go ahead, and I'll meet you at the museum. <laughs> how do you find yourself these
10: days? Well, most of the days I just don't bother to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes.
12: I'm, I'm on my way to the museum with Charlie. Well... Yes, listen. Mm. Uh,
9: yes.
12: Have
10: you ever been there? Uh, where? To the museum. Oh, well, uh, yeah. yep, yep. 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 That's the way it goes. Yes. Yeah. But how did you like it? The what? The museum. Oh, the museum. Well, I reckon it'll be all right when they get all that junk cleaned out of there.
9: <laughs> what did you enjoy
10: most at the museum? The sliding down the long banister out front.
9: <laughs>
12: oh, oh.
10: Ricky dicky. All right, all right. I mean, what did you get from
12: your visit? Splinters. Splinters, I. <laughs> Well, now, you might get something more out of it if you come along with us. eh, uh, you know, I understand the museum is adding a new wing.
10: Well, that won't do much good. Why? They'll never get it off the ground. Oh.
12: Why don't you come with us and go through the museum again?
10: No, no, no. I ain't never going there no more. No, no, no. Oh, yes, you will. Oh, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> wild, wild horseradishes couldn't drag me. Is that it? <laughs> What's wrong with the museum? Oh, it's too dangerous. Last time I was there, I seen a fellow that was hurt so bad that they had him bandaged from his head clear down to... (laughs) From his head down to, uh... Oh, you know, down to those, uh... Oh... (laughs) From his head down to... Oh, what is the name of those things that live in shoes? Oh... feet. Yeah, yeah, that's close enough.
9: Well, what about him?
10: Well, this poor fellow looked like he was blindfolded all over. Is that so?
12: Now wait a minute, Mortimer. Just where did you see this bandaged-up man?
10: Well, he was leaning against the wall in the in the gypsy section. You mean in the Egyptian section? Well, that's what I said. Was it all right? Yeah. I talked to him, but. Uh, his mind, you know, is a little wandering, I say.
9: <laughs>
10: I tried to get his mind off his injuries, but he was kind of closed mouth. Either. He didn't say much. No, he didn't say much. Well, no, nope, didn't say much talking <laughs> all. Conversation sort of drug a drug. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Mortimer, you were talking to a mummy. I was? Yes, yes. Well, I just wanted to help him. I know, I know. But I'm afraid you were too late to help him. About 4,000 years too late. Well, I got there as soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs>
12: Mortimer, I'm trying to tell you that that bandaged man, that bandaged man is
10: completely ossified. Well, can you blame him for taking a nip like that?
9: <laughs> taking
10: a nip? Yeah. To sort of blunt
12: the pain? Blunt the pain,
9: <laughs>
12: Well, he was in no pain because he was dead. Now, let me explain about mummies. After they were prepared and wrapped, they were put in a tomb, and lots of food was buried with them.
10: Yeah? Yes. Well, now you know, I, I reckon it ain't so bad being dead if you still got your appetite. Yes.
12: Well, it was merely a custom. Now, do you feel that that you know a little
10: more about that bandage man? Oh, sure. I know him real well now. We'll have lots to talk about as soon as he can have visitors. Oh, yeah. How can you be so stupid? Well, who cares as long as it gets results? I don't care. (laughs)
12: Now, there's June waiting on the steps of the museum But no sign of Charlie well, I might have known he'd be late uh, Here I am, June did, have, you, have you been here long?
13: No, I just got here, Edgar oh,
12: Did you have any trouble finding the museum?
13: No, da, day, da, da. Oh, right. Sure. <laughs> just got
12: through with him, June
9: I think
13: Charlie went in ahead of us
12: Well, why did he go in ahead?
13: Well, the doorman said a little boy Asked him where he could find the statue of Lady Godiva
12: that's... That's Charlie. That's my boy. <laughs> well, let's go in and find him. Now, I wonder which way it is to the armor room. Hello,
14: Fran. Hello.
12: Frances. Hello. Fran, uh, uh, hello.
14: Uh, I'm Ursula Twing. Fran. Uh, simmer, simmer down. Uh, <laughs> You're a friendly uh, museum guy uh, how do you do? How do you do, thank you How do you do? How do you do? Uh, my motto <laughs> <laughs> Please, my motto is Tour it with a smile if the tip is worthwhile <laughs> We're
13: interested in the armor the knights used to wear Could you show us through that room?
14: Well, I could, but Heavens to Elizabeth, it's way over on the other side So? So, uh, would you rather stay here And kind of look at our exhibit of old bones? No, I
12: don't
14: Well, know. they're just chock full of interest and in calcium <laughs> Why don't you take us to the armor room? Well, mainly because my feet hurt. Oh, They're bad feet, just... yeah. What? Bad feet? No, not. I've got good feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I forgot to bring my corn plasters today, though I don't know why. I usually keep some on hand. Oh, on hand. <laughs> on hand, I Well, not exactly on hand either, but I usually keep them on my feet.
12: <laughs> We're only interested in the armor.
14: Well, please, won't you please look at my bones instead, friends? Uh, see those, uh, the huge uh, prehistoric ones over there? Yeah. Looky, looky. Uh, one bone is over 15 feet long. Mm-hmm. An explorer dug it up. My
13: goodness. Think of the size of the prehistoric dog that buried it.
9: <laughs>
14: very cute. You're awfully cute. I just knew that you folks would enjoy my lecture on bones once I got my teeth into it. Are you an authority on such things? Authority? Am I an authority? For heaven's sake, I'll have you know that I've got brains. I'm not just a pretty face. That's... <laughs> that is very true, cool, uh, very true. Cool. Yes. What you said about prehistoric times was very interesting. Do you know much about the lost races? Do I know? Oh, my. Oh, last season, I didn't win a single race at Santa Anita. <laughs> Is there
12: any chance that you might condescend to show us the armory? No, 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 no. Don't be in such a hurly burly, Curly. <laughs> yes. I'll
14: be, I'll be just, just happy, very happy to take you there if you'll carry me piggyback.
12: Fine guy, you are too weak to walk. But no. if you
14: think I'm a weakling just because my feet hurt, you're sadly mistaken.
12: All right, so I made a mistake.
14: Yes, you made a mistake, and not only that, but you pulled a terrible if you'll pardon the expression, bloomer.
12: Oh, is it? <laughs> Sure, you're very strong, but
14: we did come here to see the armor. Well, why must you always rush and hurry around and make everybody nervous? You can go right across the hall to the American Indian room and, and see Standing Bull. Isn't that Sitting Bull? No, the floors over there are so cold. <laughs> come on, June. We'll find the
12: armor room ourselves. All right,
14: go on. I didn't like your attitude in the first place. Just just got me in such a snit anyway that if I was not a hundred percent American, I'd be seeing red. Go on, go on. Goodbye, I. Aye, aye.
12: Well, let's see now. Oh, there, there's the armor room right across the corridor, June. Oh, yes. And Charlie's waiting for us. <laughs> Hello, June. Oh, I always knew you were beautiful. But standing next to Bergen, you're, you're positively gorgeous. <laughs>
13: well, thank you, Charlie. And you too, Edgar.
6: Yeah.
9: <laughs>
13: Just look at this medieval display.
12: Yes, isn't that an impressive armor, that suit there?
13: Oh, it's wonderful material. Sort of a galvanized
12: gabardine. <laughs> yes. I wonder
13: how they had their suits pressed in those days.
12: Yeah, I bet the laundries tore their bolts off the shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to the legend of King Arthur, the noble knights performed many feats of daring do for their ladies' fair. And from all over Britain, they came to Camelot to earn their seats with the round <laughs> table.
11: Majesty, King Arthur. Greetings, brave knights. Take thy seats at the round table. (laughs) Sir Lancelot, methinks thou
12: dost look handsome in thy new suit of armor. Thanks, Your Majesty. I have with a new tailor, Sir Henry of Ford.
11: (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. I've heard his slogan, watch the pants go by. (laughs) Uh, thy suit looketh a bit rusty. Methinks it needs a lube, Josh.
12: Yeah. Tonight I shall go out and get
9: oiled.
12: <laughs>
11: oh, really, thou must mend thy ways. It looketh bad for a knight at the round table to spend all his nights at the pool table. No. Um, oh, <laughs> I said it was a jest, methinks.
9: <laughs> I'll
11: certainly do it. Yeah, what is this? Oh, not here. Hux,
9: hux. Yeah.
10: What cometh near, my good Merlin? Shire. A group of strolling players approaches.
11: you. Oh, uh, that is to say, Owen. Oh How now, good players, what cook it?
13: Hello, gentlemen. I hope you blokes are in the mood for some games and music. Blimey, I really hope so.
11: Sounds thou art a comely tomato. <laughs>
9: what
13: that thou in your basket? Coconuts, your highness. They're part of the game. Special they are, and only a penny a pitch. Would you like to hear more about it, gentlemen?
10: Aye, tell us more, me lass. I've got
13: a lovely bunch of coconuts. coconuts. There they are, standing in the row. row. Big one, small. One, some as big as your red. Give them a twist, to flicker the wrist. That's what a showman said. Oh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Of
9: coconut.
13: Every one you throw will make your red.
9: Make like your head.
13: There stands me wife. The idol of me life. A sing and roll about the ball a penny a bit. Yes. Sing and roll about the ball a penny a bit.
9: Roll a
13: Sing, roll a ball, a ball, a penny a bit. A roll a ball, the ball, a
9: roll a ball, a ball. roll a ball, a ball, singin', roll a ball, a ball, a penny a bit. Why don't you roll a ball, a roll a ball, a ball, roll a, roll a, roll a ball, a penny a bit, a penny a bit, a penny a roll a ball.
13: Plenty of bits to roll upon. Oh, i got a lovely bunch of
9: coconuts. Nuts, nuts, nuts. nuts. There they are, a
13: standing in a row. Row, row, row. One small one, some as big as your head. Wow. Give 'em a twist, a flicker, the wrist. a drop of show, Miss Ed. got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Here you are, here you are, my lucky
9: lads.
11: Penny a shy, finny a shy. Now then, lady, you try your luck.
13: My good man, how much do you require for one oh,
11: coconut? One copper, lady. One sixth of a tenner.
13: Oh, how terribly, terribly
11: that. Penny a shy, penny is shy. What about you, dearie?
13: Well, give me, little boy, you have a free fro. Free
11: fro? Knock it, knock it. No free fro's around here. Here, young'un, where's your penny?
13: I swallowed it.
11: Well, you ought to be more careful. Ain't you never heard of lend, lease? I've got a lovely bunch of
9: coconuts And they are standing in the room
13: as big as your reds. Give him a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. Oh, I've got a lovely bunch of goats and nuts.
9: Every bar you throw will
13: make me nuts, me. Nuts, nuts, nuts. Nuts. Me husband's over there. They are to love the fair. Sing and roll about the ball of penny a bit, A bitch, a bitch. Sing and roll about a ball of any a bitch.
9: A bitch, a bitch. Sing and roll about ball of any a bitch. A bitch, a bitch, a bitch. Roll about a ball. Roll about a ball. Sing and roll about a ball a bitch. Throw the bowl of
13: ball a
9: penny, a
13: lovely bunch of coconuts. Throw the
9: bowl of ball a penny,
13: a lovely bunch of coconuts. Throw the bowl of all a penny. A nah. coconut.
11: <clears throat> <Bradbury> <réussi> splendid, splendid. Uh, here, I mean, here, my last.
12: Here is a gold coin for thee.
13: Nay, nay, your Majesty. Tis not gold I seek, but aid from yon noble knights.
12: Will buckle my doublet and rivet me breeches. <laughs> yon ragged wench talks like a lady.
13: I am Princess June. My sister May has been held prisoner since last February by the Black Knight, Sir August. Oh,
12: looks like Sir August stole a march on us. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks I sound like Sir Milton or Burl. <laughs> it was to
13: escape it from the clutches of the Black Knight that I disguised myself in this cheap
12: $500 copy of an Adrian dress. <laughs> well, Teneri, thou art a lovely vision withal. I, Sir Lancelot, bow low before thee. Oh, methinks I bowed a little too low.
9: <laughs>
13: you should be careful, Lancelot. You've dented your pants a lot. Ye-
9: <laughs> <laughs> uh, fear not, my princess.
12: I shall go forth and rescue thy sister from the cowardly Black Knight. Wait.
11: Before thou takest thy leave, thou must consult the royal wizard. Merlin. Merlin. Where is oh, yeah. What sayest thou? Perform thy magic. Oh, yes, Your Majesty. <clears throat> Uh, take us now a card from this deck. Any card. Tell it we not what it is. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, Merlin, no. Looketh now into the future, that we may know the perils that await Sir Lancelot. Oh.
10: abracadabra, Hocus, pocus. Presto, change your metro. Oh, get, to,
12: get to the trick. <laughs> <laughs> Sir
10: Lancelot, I see you and the princess coming to a wide river. Hocus, pocus. I see a river too deep to ford, too perilous to swim,
12: and you have no boat. Then how do we get across? You use the bridge. <laughs>
9: this guy
12: doesn't know his hocus from his pocus.
10: Now you meet a giant and tilt with him in the darkness.
12: That's impossible. When I tilt, I always light up. <laughs> Come, my Princess. We will saddle my noble steed and hire us hence. Good. We will need it for an early start, because hence
13: is twenty miles away. Yeah. Sir Lancelot, this ride yet is uncomfortable. Methinks our steeds grow weary.
12: Thou art so right, Princess. I will trade them in for fresh ones. Whereeth? Oh, thereeth. Uh, Madman Merlin's used horse lots.
9: <laughs> Merlin?
12: I thought it, he was a magician. Aye, ah, he was, but things have been rougher on magicians since Vaudeville died.
10: Welcome, Sir Lancelot and Damsel Fair. May I help with thee? Forsooth, we wanted a horse. For eating or for riding?
9: Forsooth.
10: <laughs> <Pursuit. laughs> I have just the thing for thee. This horse over here is practically brand new. He has very low mileage.
9: Oh,
13: <laughs> oh he's not bad, sir. Look at those white sidewall feet.
10: Mm. <laughs> he was owned by an old lady in Pasadena. <laughs> She just used him to go shopping. <laughs> he was up with on blocks for six months. Is he is he four gated? No, four legged, one in each corner.
9: <laughs>
10: Verily, he is a bargain and can be financed through the Bank of Camelot. And
12: pay a twelve percent interest? Nay, Violet, I will give us the cash.
10: What about accessories? Teeth are extra, you know. <laughs>
9: He needeth
13: not teeth. All he eats is hay, and he can gum (laughs) that.
12: Here is the money, madman. Come, Princess, we must get to the black knight and headeth for the blackout.
13: (laughs) We are nearing the castle where my sister is imprisoned. Look, here
12: cometh the black knight. Loose thy lance and lance lunge. Fear, fear not, my beloved. I shall cut through his armor with ease, for on the end of my lance I have a can opener. <laughs> on guard, varlet, cometh to joust with thee, I do. Oh,
13: splendid Sir Lancelot. You have unseated the black knight.
12: <laughs> and now pull back his visor and look upon his evil face. <laughs> Who is it?
14: Greetings, friend. Oh, but, uh, In the future, friends, uh, will you please knock before you come in?
12: How, villain, what hast thou to say before I cut it off thy head? Goodbye,
13: it up, my darling. Now that thou hast counted the back night, uh-huh. I will love thee forevermore. Put thy arm around me.
12: Oh, my fair one, nothing but nothing can come between us.
14: Don't be too sure about that. Huh? Art thou a messenger from Camelot? No, Miss Allison, I'm a messenger from your movie lot. You got a six o'clock call in the morning.
13: Oh, no. Good night, Princess. Good night, night. <laughs>
12: Uh, Just a word of thanks to June Allison for appearing with us tonight. I guess next week will be the cowboy king of radio and television, Hopalong Cassidy. Good night, everybody.
11: Appeared by arrangement with Metro Bolden Mayer, producers of Adam Rib, starring Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, and June Holiday. Bill Baldwin speaking for the famous Pasadena Playhouse. This is TBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.